the production side is a part of this where I'm hyper, hyper focused. I actually believe that the people who own the hard infrastructure are the cannabis companies to pay attention to. Brands are fungible. Brands come and go. The average length of a brand right now in California is sub 365 days because so many entrants are flooding this market and the economy is just not there to support. Hello and welcome to Signals by AlphaSense, where we hear thoughtful insights from business leaders, investors, and experts. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Signals by AlphaSense, and I'm your host, Nick Mazing. Today, we're going to discuss cannabis products, specifically CPG or consumer packaged goods with Matt Melander, a successful entrepreneur in the category with years of experience in developing products, establishing production and distribution, and a successful exit. Matt, can you tell us a little bit more about you, your work experience, and what you're up to now? Yeah, absolutely, Nick. Thanks for having me. So as you said, I, uh, I have a unique career. I started actually my career in, in financial services and did that for over a decade and all along had this, this kind of nagging feeling that I wanted to be involved with something from the ground floor. And I don't think there's anything as much of a ground floor as, as the cannabis industry as a whole domestically and really the roller coaster that we've been on now as someone who joined the industry full-time in 2018. In 2018, I founded along with two partners, a business that became known as Levia when we went to the market. It quickly grew to be the number one cannabis-infused in the country in just under six months. And in that same six months, we started fielding buyout offers from the biggest publicly traded cannabis companies in the country and eventually partnered with one of them and, and sold the business. So it was a wild adventure and and took every bit of entrepreneurial desire i certainly had to uh, a fledgling idea with zero dollars and think to find develop build a building to build build an operating system build a brand build a product build a distribution or you gave it we had to do it so it's certainly an industry that takes whole hosts of skills to be able to be successful Mm -hmm. so let's talk about cannabis CPG products as they currently exist in the market. So we've seen an explosion in consumable products like beverages, like gummies and so on, as well as cosmetics like creams and so on. So what's going on in the main cannabis CPG categories? You're seeing a lot of product innovation, formula innovation, flavor innovation. And particularly what you're looking at with the landscape is something that in its earliest days, the calculus was if you made it, it would sell. And consumers were super excited to have access to legal, regulated, and tested product. Yet sometimes product quality was subpar, but the product would sell just because people were excited to have it. As more markets have opened, and when I say markets, it's state-by-state microeconomy. So as more states have added adult use, You've basically seen forced ingenuity. And so what we've watched, which was started as like gummy bears and chocolate bars and some relatively rudimentary formulations of tinctures and whatnot, has started to expand, as you said, to topicals and cosmetics to, and I've seen it, yeah, I've seen infused hot sauce. You name it, you can infuse it. Now, does that mean that it's going to be a commercial success? Probably not because it's still pretty small market in, in the universal sense. But the focus really has been, the way I like to explain it, 
if you stay in the middle of the fairway and you figure out where the greatest number of consumers will intersect with these products and you use form factors, feel like universal norms, you have a very good chance of creating something that can survive and, and really flourish in the future. So I've been involved in CPG in different angles. So I was uh, worked on the corporate side with CPGs. I have been on the sell side, covering CPGs, buy side, involved with CPGs. And one of the most difficult things for emerging brands is distribution. So for example, in case our listeners don't know, every single spot in the cooler at your 7-Eleven is spoken for. Every single mm-hmm. spot on the shelf at your local CVS is spoken for. The employees have planograms. There is no, you can just, your product doesn't sh- just show up there. And it's notoriously difficult to get in with those national chains. And, you know, I mean, a mega retailer, they'll take your slotting allowance, which is basically rent. They'll sell through your product and then it's over. They'll never renew, right? They'll take your money and that's it. And the whole process is 10 times harder when you have state-by-state restrictions with cannabis products. And it's the same thing actually with production, right? If you have an idea for whatever category that's non-cannabis, you can find a contract manufacturer and, you know, they'll make you, subject to certain minimums, your energy drink. They'll make your pasta sauce. They'll take your money and that's it. And production is solved. That's not the case, obviously, with cannabis products. And you have been successful with winning at the production and the distribution game. So what's the key there? I think it's a unique question and we're going to break it down into a few component pieces and it goes to the nature of the industry. Uh, As I said a little bit ago, this idea of state-by-state microeconomies creates the necessity that I can't produce a product in New York and distribute it in Massachusetts. If I want to distribute a product in New York, it has to be built and manufactured in New York. Same is true in Massachusetts, Washington, Oregon. You name the state, you name the market. We don't have cross-border capabilities. So you create this unique situation where as a consumer product, you have to own your own supply chain. And as we continue to slowly mature, you're starting to see the idea of traditional manufacturing co-man facilities coming into the space, but it's been few and far between. The restrictions of capital in the system have created a situation where when when I got started, there wasn't a cannabis beverage facility east of Denver, Colorado. So it wasn't like I had a chance to go and just go to a co-man and be like, hey, this is my graphic design. This is my formula. I want a thousand cases a month in perpetuity. It was nope, go find a dirt lot and build yourself a manufacturing facility and go raise the capital to do that because there's no access to traditional financing. So the production side is a part of this where I'm hyper, hyper focused. I actually believe that the people who own the hard infrastructure are the cannabis companies to pay attention to. Brands are fungible. Brands come and go. The average length of a brand right now in California is sub 365 days because so many entrants are flooding this market. And the economy is just not there to support. So it's, we look at this from my current situation where we actually are building a co-pan facility as that is where the optionality still exists. You can build anything for anybody. If you own that infrastructure, you control the supply chain. If you control the supply chain, 
and you make a quality, safe, repeatable product, you're going to create consumer confidence. And over the long run, that's, that's certainly the place you want to be. Winning at the register is a whole different conundrum because now all of a sudden you're not only a production site, you're also a sales and distribution site. So all of these things where when you look at mature businesses, there are solutions at every corner and whether it be a co-manufacturer or a sales and logistics platform, or as you said, slotting fees at the retailer, none of that exists yet. So here's where it's very much small time relationship-based selling. We would go out into the market. We would go to every retailer. We would have one-on-one conversations with the, the owner, the purchaser, the manager, whomever the deciding factor would be, try to get our product carried. And then from there, it's a matter of being, frankly, just being good people. In an immature business, you're not, there is no Coca-Cola. There's no Mondelez. There's no mega conglomerate that controls the pricing or the flow of product. So our willingness to work with our customers and if they missed payment terms one time on it or wasn't like we were going to say, hey, we're never doing business with you again. We pick up the phone and act like humans and say, hey, what's going on? And you work through it together. It's really one of the greatest gifts that the cannabis industry has created is this idea of mainstream business coming back to the fold. And that to me is how you win on all facets of this, it, whether it be production, distribution, sale, marketing, logistics, any of the above. Your handshake matters, your integrity matters, and you're working with these folks trying to build an industry. We're not just building brands here. We really are truly building an industry. And it takes everyone in all parts of the supply chain to work together to really make that a viable future enterprise. And now looking forward, let's say we get safe banking, which for our non-US listeners is the proposal for the legalization, basically, of financial services to, to the cannabis industry. And, you know, you had the guy from, I'm forgetting his name, Kill Bill, I think, on Capitol Hill last week <laughs> advocating for it. So you have the celebrities on your side, but you know, let's say we get that. We can have interstate commerce at some point of time. How do you see the level of the land in the space in the long run? So in other words, when you look at a mature CPG industry by vertical, you know, you have Coca-Cola and Pepsi very consolidated. You look at, you know, you have the Oreos and, you know, Mondays dominating snacking and so on. So do you think that this is the going to be the end state for cannabis CPGs or do you think it's going to be fragmented that you'll never get a national brand. Well, going thinking across my fingers every day that we can get this through, I think the more responsible we can and, and open the capital markets can be for the industry, the more mature the industry can become, the more consumers and regulators and any industry participant can take it seriously. This I don't put any weight on safe banking passing. I thought last year was going to be the year and it didn't get through. So it may be a 2024 election cycle type issue, but if we get it beforehand, great. It's a rising tide lifts all ships as soon as that goes. In terms of the evolution and the maturation of the products and there being kind of a Coca-Cola power player versus local, I actually... I'm conflicted on it. I want to say, yes, there will naturally be some players that rise to the top. Will they ever get to the size of really these multinationals? I, I sort of lead me to say no, 
But at the same point, then some of the entrepreneur who wants to see the American dream succeed. So if it becomes a super regional business and and success is that you own New England or you own the Southeast or you own the Southwest, that's awesome. I think that exists to, if you look at things, a rung down from the Coca-Cola or Mondelez equivalents. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I, I look in the New York, Boston area, Dr. Brown soda has been around forever. It's got a cult following, but it's, it can't compete with Coca-Cola on a global stage. If you see it, you're like, wow, that's a really great family business, great quality product. People care about their ingredients. They care about the, the sanctity of what they're doing. So that's where I'm a little bit hesitant to say yes or no. I'd love to see even if it is just in a regional play that national outfits come together and create really quality, essentially barriers to entry for others so that you have to keep your product to a suit a certain level. So there's a known playbook and we know what's going into these things. Those conversations are certainly happening because away from the adult use side of cannabis, we've seen the rise of, of hemp derived Delta nine and, and other synthetic cannabinoids. Frankly, I, of Delta 8 or Delta 10, these these lab synthetics, I think that that gets away from the point of the, this is a wellness industry at its core wrapped in a CPG conundrum. It's a, it is a wild calculus when you actually get into it. But speaking specifically to hemp drive Delta 9, which is, which is federally legal from 2018 farm bill, basically the, the qualifier is that your inputs are below 0.3% THC by dry weight volumes. It's ostensibly industrial hemp that is the input, you're seeing together from all corners of the country who are hemp advocates trying to set that baseline of product quality and consistency. The testing is going to be as rigid as it is in the adult use space. The dosing is going to be known. The additives that you can and cannot use are going to be known. And for people who are familiar with the rise of craft beer market, this is what Jim Coke did with Samuel Adams back in the 80s, was he created a level of care went into these products that people couldn't just come forward and call their product craft beer or eventually it was cider and hard iced tea. You use the regulators as your friend and together you build an industry. So uh, however that shakes out, will do we have a chance of having a Budweiser or Coca-Cola in this space? Absolutely. If that doesn't happen and we end up with a hundred super regional players that are all really viable businesses and they're additive to their community even better because that's more jobs and that's more of an opportunity for everyone to participate in the industry. Mm -hmm. And one last question that I have is, and I've been involved with beverage development and it's the actual taste, right? So, so you have some kind, you know, you have a base, right? And then you have the, basically the stuff you're writing on and it's, it like the, some of the stuff I've tried is just absolutely horrible, right? So, how did you end up formulating actually a successful product? Did you have like a large focus group or like what went on there? I wish I could say that it was that sophisticated that we had anything resembling a focus group. The very first product, which is Levia, we built that in a soda stream. So as I said, there was no infrastructure. We couldn't go and do a test batch and run some nominal amount of cases and get them out into consumers' hands. It's also part of the nature of the regulated industry. So... We started with the one liter soda stream and we would play with flavors and play with the inputs and say, oh, that one's still tastes like bong water or that one doesn't have enough carbonation. And I jokingly called it rapid prototyping to try to make it sound way more official than it was. 
but it was really just trial and error in a garage. I mean, it was, it was the classic startup story of coming out of a garage and succeeding at commercial scale. Now we're very fortunate that the flavor houses are far more open to the industry. Real beverage experts, whether they be sommeliers from one, from incoming from the wine world or mixologists who come from the, the craft cocktail world, like these people are starting to pay attention. They're far better at this than I could even hope to be. And then together we, uh, we build the formulas at, at batch size and then scale the maths to production batch size. So it's a lot more. At the beginning, it was a lot more art than science, and now the science is taking over. And and you know, we we get process authority letters and and pasteurization calcs from engineers. This is it went from being a fun experiment with the soda stream to now being just as uh, as rigid as as most most other products film. Matt, thank you for joining us. Thank you very much, Nick. This was a fascinating conversation with Matt Malander, a successful entrepreneur in the emerging cannabis space. We discussed cannabis beverages, we discussed cannabis edibles, we discussed product distribution, and quite a bit more. Thank you for listening. This was another episode of Signals by AlphaSense. Thank you for joining us. This was another episode of Signals by AlphaSense. Keep in mind that all views presented here are the views of the guests and hosts and do not represent the views of their employers or of AlphaSense. Nothing in this podcast constitutes investing, tax, legal, or medical advice. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a rating and review and subscribe for more.